Welcome back to the nationally syndicated Price of Business show. I'm your host, Kevin Price, talking to you about you and your business. And it's all of our business to be concerned about what's happening in uh, the Ukraine. Uh, you know, the world is so small now uh, compared to 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. and gets smaller all the time. What happens there impacts everywhere. And, of course, we're seeing it a lot in the economy uh, here, but, but it's way beyond that. And when it comes to things like that, this, there's no one I'd like to talk to more than my guest in this segment, uh, retired General Jeffrey Schlozer, uh, really one of my favorite regulars and one we get great, great feedback about whenever he's on the program. Uh, General, we love having you on the program. Real quickly, before we get into our topic, uh, why don't you kind of give us a little bit of background about your experience real quickly, but also talk about your book and how people can get it, which I, I consider your book must reading for anyone who's interested in leadership and how leadership should really work. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. Yeah, so uh, I wrote a book called Marathon War, Leadership and Combat in Afghanistan based on uh, really uh, a couple of years of uh, combat experience leading the 101st Airborne Division in Afghanistan, about 30,000 soldiers, including soldiers from a variety of different uh, European countries. Um, the book's available at jeffschlosser.com, uh, certainly on amazon.com, et cetera. Uh, more importantly, though, it's about leadership in really tough circumstances, and I think uh, business leaders as well as those interested in national security would find it useful. Uh, anyway, so thanks a lot about that. I did go, by the way, since we're going to talk Ukraine, I've been to Ukraine multiple times, including during my career. I had one of the dubious, or I won't call it dubious, but an interesting um, uh, opportunities. Uh, my unit, I was a brigade commander. We flew uh, Vice President uh, Gore to Chernobyl from Kiev in, in Ukraine. Uh, not once, but we did it twice just to prove we could do it. Uh, actually, it was an interesting time because everybody was wearing radiac meters and very concerned about it, but uh, have spent a fair amount of time. And then after I retired, uh, going to and from the Ukraine. It's a country I actually love dearly. Yes, yes, it's a beautiful, beautiful region, uh, beautiful people. I've spent a lot of time in Eastern Europe, not like you, but a lot of time in Eastern Europe and in the uh, in, and in Russia. And uh, honestly, it's just uh, incredible to see what they're going through. Uh, I really enjoyed the people when I've been there. I actually taught uh, economics in uh, some of the universities here. I did seminars on uh, free market economics at a much more, uh, I guess you would say, optimistic period right after the fall. And, uh, you know, they, cho they have largely chose chosen more uh, cronyistic uh, approaches. But, again, great people and uh, hate to see what they're going through. Uh, let's talk real quickly about a lot, of, a lot of victory laps going on this week over uh, what happened in the Ukraine with the incredible, uh, you know, take back by the Ukrainian military of uh, territory that the Russians have taken. Of course, it's great. It's exciting. Uh, you know, depending on whose side you're on, and we both know whose side you and I are on. But, you know, I think uh, people can get pretty romantic about what happened. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, when you see a military victory like this in a route of Russian forces, it's easy to get a little bit uh, too excited and, and think uh, this is it, the way the future is going to all be. But, you know, for our listeners, basically uh, – the Russians did get routed from uh, northeastern uh, Ukraine, a part that they had taken over during their initial invasion, including one of the largest cities, Kharkiv, uh, in Ukraine. Um, 
next to Keep. So they've been routed to the point where they're actually abandoning uh, military uh, vehicles and equipment. Uh, I've seen reports of, uh, you know, one unit leaving 35 tanks and 35 uh, infantry fighting vehicles, not destroying them, just fleeing. Uh, those are going to be recirculated into the Ukrainian army. Another unit, almost the same numbers. Uh, these are a battalion of brigade-sized units, and uh, it's fascinating to watch uh, the Russians really uh, go from, uh, you know, uh, fighting hard to actually uh, just fleeing over the last, uh, really, week to week and a half. I think the important part, though, is is what does this mean for the rest of, the uh, you know, the war going on? And also, what does it do to Putin and Putin's options? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, and it's very interesting. I, I'm, I'm trying to think of when I've seen anything quite like this, and I, I can't recall uh, you know, it almost maybe the closest thing that comes to mind was Iraq. Uh, you know, during Desert Storm, or of course during the one where we apparently uh, had won uh, a war that continued forever. You know how that goes. But it, it's almost similar to those type of situations. And the type of of uh, leaving that we saw, we're talking about uh, troops, Russian troops. Uh, getting your hands on civilian clothes and trying to make it uh, to the western part or out of Ukraine uh, via via the west, you know the west. Uh, we're talking about uh, full fledged uh, you know escaping going on in, in a pretty massive scale from from what I've read. I, I hear that the you know that Putin. I'm reading, reading articles by Putin that he's no longer attending strategy meetings. You've got regional leaders uh, saying that Putin should resign. I'm like, really? <laughs> this is like really unusual type of things. And uh, we have said along for a long time, uh, it's, it's very doubtful that uh, Putin's uh, stable at this point. He does a lot of things that simply doesn't seem logical or reasonable. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you, you have to wonder, does he have on the table options that a healthy, a healthy person would never consider? Well, yeah, absolutely does. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, you know, just to, to kind of pound home your point there, Kevin, you know, uh, during some of the worst of the fleeing, uh, you know, over the weekend, uh, Putin was in Moscow uh, for Moscow Day commemorating a new Ferris wheel. Um, you know, that's not something that you yeah. see a commander in chief that had full grasp of uh, what was actually occurring on the ground. You wouldn't see them doing that. But he does have options, and we ought to be worried about those here in the West and certainly in America because they could drive things uh, pretty significantly in the wrong way. The first option, and probably the most likely one, is is that, uh, um, you know, one, you're going to see a great divorce between, hey, Putin's not, and, you know, he's not the one making these decisions. These have been made by lower-level military advisors, and a lot of those folks are going to be trashed, uh, and they're going to keep Putin, you know, you know, clean from that aspect. What you'll also see, though, is I think Putin's going to play a longer game, and it's going to. He's. I think he is looking uh, to to cause Western Europe and and your Eastern Europe that relies on his natural gas and oil to have one of the coldest, most miserable winters ever, and uh, since maybe World War II and the aftermath of World War II, and and by doing that, what he wants to do is he wants to. Uh, have those national security leaders from those countries who will make decisions, who have decided to become bigger players in NATO, make bigger defense uh, uh, expenditures, et cetera. He's going to break them away from the people because the people are the one who are going to freeze their rear ends off and, uh, and not have – they're going to go without this winter. And I think Putin's counting on that 
to cause a big change in the, in how Europe is actually approaching this war. You know, in other words, its support, its weaponry, its all that kind of thing. Now, the other part, yeah. and you haven't asked me about this, but it's the more dangerous but least likely or less likely is is that he chooses to uh, rattle the nuclear saber yet again, and he could go all the way to the point of doing what I would call a demonstration. It didn't it wouldn't have to kill anybody. You just uh, uh, basically had let off a tactical nuclear weapon, maybe fired out in the middle of the Black Sea or something of that nature, clear the zone, just to remind everybody that he has options out there if things go completely bad and he becomes totally embarrassed. I don't think that's likely at this point. More to follow on that. But uh, those are two scary things that I think are coming up. Uh, you know, one, a very cold winter split off the Europeans from their own government. And then secondly, a demonstration of some kind of nature like this, uh, a tactical nuclear weapon. Which violates so many treaties. It's not even funny. Uh, but, uh, yeah. yeah, you know, uh, he's now like a, it's like a, a rogue state. Russia has become like a rogue state. And it's always had a little bit of that quality. It's never like uh, been been uh, one of one of the more civilized players out there. But uh, you know, it already acts outrageous with human rights violations claims against him, and uh, et cetera. For those not familiar with the use of the word tactical nuclear bomb, it's a bomb that was designed to be used in a theater of war, even with troops fairly near to where the action has happened. And uh, we even played with the idea uh, back in the 1970s with a neutron bomb. And uh, it was eventually, which, which is exactly what it was, right? Just, just kill people, but not, but not buildings, not infrastructure. That's what a neutron bomb was supposed to do. And the Russians, we believe, have those kind of weapons. Yeah, they, uh, they absolutely have uh, small, these are small yields, essentially, but they're much larger than conventional explosives. They do basically have radioactivity to them, obviously, and they can cause a, a huge amount of damage to, uh, uh, even if they're not, uh, you know, around people, they can cause damage to terrain that cannot be used for farming or other things for, uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years. So uh, this is uh, something, as you said, it violates almost every treaty on Earth. And uh, and I, I do agree that uh, by its invasion of Crimea and now its invasion of the Ukraine, that Russia has become much more clearly a rogue state, joining Iran and uh, and several others of that nature that uh, you know we clearly say say is a rogue state. I think though that what's interesting about this is is that uh, going nuclear is just something that's been inconceivable since uh, you know World War II. Um, and yet I'm not so sure, as you hinted to, Kevin, that Putin's got a full grasp of, of the situation, the full grasp of what the strategic implications are, maybe a full grasp of his own, uh, you know, thought process. And, and that's that's something to cause us worry, I think. Yeah, and he's trying to say full, I think, a full deck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not even sure if he has a full deck uh, that he's working with. Uh, it, it's very strange to watch. And it's very interesting because, um, as you know, I like geopolitics a lot, a, a lot. I like national security and international security a lot. studied a lot. I worked in that area in D.C. And Putin's always been an interesting character. And I always generally thought that uh, he was actually one of the smarter uh, global players out there, and uh, you know, and again, insanity doesn't mean you're you're not smart. You know, we've seen crazy people who are smart, but it makes you stop behaving in smart ways. 
That's, that's yeah, what insanity I mean, does, regardless of what your IQ is. You know, and I see a lot of that when I see uh, Putin. I, uh, he's not the same guy from 10, 10 years ago. In fact, he's not even the same guy from 2019 before COVID became a major issue. I think he has suffered from isolation. You see these bizarre videos of him, uh, a half a room and very big rooms at that, away from other people, not wanting to engage, his un- unwillingness to hear any uh, negative uh, conversation which was a lot like, uh, you know, when you read military history, what, what dictatorships were like when Hitler got bad news. Well, you, you should not have given that, even though he needed to hear that if we wanted to win. I see a lot of that going on. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I've always regarded Putin as being canny, cunning, you know, reflective of his KGB background, basically, and, and usually with options up his sleeve that, uh, you know, that he could actually do now as as you said this isolation that he has put himself through uh has been actually i think pretty significant uh, has had a significant impact on his own uh you know I'm, i won't call it mental st- stability but it has maybe uh impacted him in ways that we really don't know and uh you know, I, therefore, when you be, take somebody like that, it becomes, you know, even more chance that uh, something unpredictable will happen. A decision will be made that uh, uh, may not seem rational uh, by our viewpoint. And so I think uh, we're going to have to be watching uh, as the situation unfolds, but just how Putin, uh, you know, talks to it, how Putin makes actions, does actions. Uh, as he goes on, uh, you know, it's uh, it's fascinating to watch this. Everything from the fleeing of the Russian soldiers all the way out to what are the impacts, you know, strategically for Russia uh, over this time period. But without a doubt, Kevin, he is going to put a vice grip on Europe this winter. Yes, yes. And, you know, one of the things you mentioned is, is what that's going to be like, you know, uh, for the Europeans. But that also allows him to say, hey, you think you have it right. Look what we've done to the Europeans. Now, they're really miserable. And, uh, I mean, it it actually becomes a tool of psychological warfare to uh, put that vice grip on Europe. Oh, yeah. He's going to – I mean, you can already see, you know, uh, the U.K. has to do prime minister. I mean, one of the first bills you're seeing here is is a uh, – to address this issue of uh, you know, being able to afford the heat this winter for the for the uh, Brits is is the, the potential that they're going to put uh, a very significant uh, levy on the profits of um, of uh, uh, power companies and oil companies uh, to be exact, uh, and that money will be funneled back to the people so that they can afford higher bills. Uh, fascinating. It's you know it's more socialistic than you would expect from the UK at this point in time. Uh, but that's kind of the example of things that could cause, you know, so social upheaval in some cases. Um, I may be going a little bit too far, but certainly it's going to cause some level of unrest, some level of uh, splitting off certain groups to say, this is not worth it anymore. Let's, uh, you know, pressure the Ukrainians to give up and uh, let the Russians uh, at least have some part. And uh, we'll see what happens. But again, I, I do predict probably, you know, a coldest uh, winter in some cases in Europe since World War II or since a few years after World War II. Uh, and that's not going to be pleasant. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and, and you're 
you're, yeah, I think you're unfortunately right, which is surprising because her new prime minister uh, has really positioned herself as, uh, uh, you know, Margaret Thatcher reincarnated. Um, and, uh, and, and she's got some history that, that, that backs that up to some, though. I can't imagine yeah. her taking that approach, uh, to be honest with you, in this situation. It's also kind of an interesting tell for countries like, I, I think of France, ironically. When you hear about all these countries in absolute terror about what's happening, you rarely, when it comes to the winter, you rarely hear about France because of the fact that France has nuclear power that uh, really solves a lot of their problems. And I'm sure there's a lot of countries. In fact, there are a lot of countries. Even the U.K. was going to be closing down some plants, and they have reconsidered on a couple of those. And so it's really made people rethink everything. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's no doubt that Europe is having to rethink, uh, including Germany, which was unthinkable uh, two years ago. But they're rethinking the grain movement, the closure of nuclear weapon, uh, nuclear power plants, as you said, and just how fast they try to transition off of uh, fossil fuels to uh, renewables. It's going to impact all of that, and it will probably be impactful for decades, I would say. Yeah, and I was thinking Germany when I spoke English. No pun intended. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, it was Germany that did that. Yeah. yeah. And so, in fact, I know they said they weren't closing down at least one, probably won't close down two. And there was three that were on the chopping block, now that, that you say that. So, yeah, there's a lot going on. Final thoughts as we wrap it up. What do you think uh, the West should be doing rather than just victory laps? Well, right now, I think we ought to be, uh, you know, doubling down on our support to the Ukrainians. There's no doubt about that. I mean, we don't have to double down. We've already, we've got very significant weapons going in. Keep that flow going. Keep the ammunition going. Keep the capability going. Keep the verbal support uh, strategically in the UN and other places like that. And uh, let the Ukrainians continue to fight this war. Uh, they're the ones that are, you know, uh, it counts the most for, but uh, we all have a hand in uh, the uh, successful outcome of, the, of it. So that's all I would say is let's double down and, and uh, continue to try to make them successful. Retired General Jeffrey Schlozer, he is a show favorite, a personal favorite, and I am uh, already looking forward to your next visit. I hope you have a great day. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. I'm Kevin Price. This is The Price of Business. Stay tuned for more.